It's Bibliophile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find. For this episode of Bibliophile, I read Hidden Embers by Amanda Perry, and Nick read The Society, Hashtag Stalker Problems by Ivy Smoke. It's Bibliovile, the Terrible Book Exchange Podcast. My name is Mick Dickinson. And I'm Susan Dickinson. And we are back here once again in a morning recording uh, to bring you these book reports about just just the worst books. And this is another uh, Kindle exclusive edition. We did not make it to the library this time, and so we are... Currently working with the dregs of what Amazon has to offer. And that's saying something. It's gonna be a rough one, friends. There's a reason I wanted to do this as a coffee episode. <laughs> yeah, well, it is uh, Labor Day as we're recording this, and so I got the day off work, and hopefully you did too. Uh, but since I am, in fact, the president of a uh, union, I think I get to put a little Bailey's in my coffee as a treat. As a nice treat. Yeah, really, I've... this whole day is about you, Mick, when oh, you yeah. think about it. When I think about it, I definitely don't think of places like Haymarket and whatnot. Even though FDR co-opted the idea of a Labor Day away from May 1st to distinguish it or like to separate it from its socialist overtones that it needs to actually achieve any social progress. But uh, still, it's nice to have the day off or whatever. Mick, this is not what the people come to Bibliovile for. The people come to Bibliovile to hear about bad books. Well, get going because I've forgotten everything about your book that a reason I got it for you. <laughs> My book uh, could not make up its mind what it wanted to be. What um, is your book? Like, I've completely forgotten. It is called Hidden Embers. That does not help. And it is book one in the Chosen oh. One series. Yeah, you got me book one. Um, Shoot. And oh, I remember. You remember? I remember why I got it for you. Why did you get it for me? Because I saw one of my students was sitting close to me with that book on the on the desk, and I thought it looked so YA, like the cover. And then it was called Hidden Embers, yeah. which is also a very just bibliophile title. And then I went on online to research it, and uh, wouldn't you know it, I uh, said, oh, I think this one's going to be a good choice. Yes. This is classic bibliophile in so many ways. Um, just the the whole concept of someone having hidden powers there's a council um it's not shifters it would have been better if it had been shifters but instead it's uh elementals which i feel like mm. has so we've definitely had some bibliophile yeah. elemental stuff before so like your your usual air fire ice and stone yeah exactly Oh, that, uh, is a, that is a throwback to I know. early seasons. There was that, what was that book called? It was something about spiders. Yeah, spiders um, by or spider web or something. Yeah, but anyway, this book I thought was going to be just the quintessential bibliophile setup where you learn a little bit about the character, then she discovers her powers, and then we sort of take off from there. You know, the, like a book, like pacing. This one took exactly four... 50% of the way through the book to introduce the supernatural element, to introduce the world. And it wasn't like there was so much backstory that we really had to cover that it took half of the first book. They just really wanted to wallow in how sad our main oh, character no. is. I think that one of the worst things to happen to, you know, uh, mass, no, mass market books is the introduction of the like assumed trilogy 
And so they're like, well, I'm not pacing for this book. I'm pacing for the entire trilogy. And you're yes. like, no, I still need to be able to read this specific book. Exactly. Like, this also has to be readable. And it didn't help that everything that happened in the first 50% was exactly the same. Like, it wasn't that there was a ton of plot. It was just the same thing happening over and over. And it was so depressing. But we'll get into that. Like crushing pop cans? I also want to talk a little bit about one of our other favorite bibliophile tropes. Mick, can you guess what color our main character's eyes are? Gotta be violet. Gotta be gray. Uh, You are correct. So in this book, our main character, uh, I think her name's Riley. Uh, I already forgot. Goes to live with her. She is 17 and she, her mom dies and she is sent to live with her birth father, who she has never met before. The Dursleys. Did not know who her birth father was until when mom died, they tracked him down to tell him that he had a daughter and he didn't even know and they sent her to live with him. That is a significant failure of the courts. Yeah, I don't really think that's how that works if she has no pre-existing relationship with him she knows nothing about him she didn't know he existed and vice versa yeah don't really think that's a thing or how that works but it's convenient for the plot so that's how Uh. it works in this book um she meets him for the very first time at the airport when he comes to pick her up my eyes widen in shock as i look into his i've seen them before every day when i look in the mirror they're bright and round and the same electric violet blue as mine it's a rare what? color, not one I've noticed on another person before. What would violet blue look like? I don't like that it's just like, you can't just mix two colors and have them be both of those colors. Like purple mixed with blue is just like a, a really dark blue, right? But that's what Bibliovile does, is it picks eye colors and mixes them together to to, to demonstrate that their character is interesting. Also, no one has ever noticed that somebody else looks like them like that. Like, <gasps> he and I have the same nose. Like, I could not pick my own nose out of a lineup if you... No! Yeah. Yeah. I, like, Unless there's a booger hanging out of it. I... <laughs> I can tell, like, looking at my own family, I can see similar features. But, like, if I saw a stranger that had my exact same eyes, I do not think I would notice that at all. No. Well, that's what makes you not, that's, you're not special like she is. Exactly. She's the chosen one. She's the, she's the chosen one. So here's where this podcast on this nice Monday morning with our coffee is going to take a really depressing turn as we get more and more into Riley's backstory. Riley is coming from a situation of some pretty extreme abuse. Um, She was raised by her mother who told her every day that she didn't want her and that Riley ruined her life. And Well, no wonder they sent her to live with the dad even though he didn't know her. Then her mom died in a fire and Riley was sent to live with her dad. So... Here's a little, I'm just going to read you snippets of of the backstory. According to social services, they know a little bit about what happened, but no one knows the full story, not even the police. Telling anyone would be the same as signing my own death certificate. I've learned two extremely important things over my 17 years. Never trust anyone and keep my mouth shut. Rules to live by in my world. So... I'm not going to read all of the depressing things that I highlighted because that's just going to be a real bummer this morning. But they, 
we learn we get little snippets of what happened when her mom died through Riley's nightmares. She has she really started a fire nightmares. on accident because she's a fire elemental and she's the chosen one. Correct. So yeah. she thinks she killed her mom, but it turns out her mom's boyfriend had actually strangled her mom to death before Riley started the fire, and that's why Riley lost control of her powers and started the fire. This is another in a long list of examples of like teenagers want to be adults really badly, even though they they don't say they do. They want to be adults really badly. And the first thing they try to do to make themselves uh, be adults is to find significant problems in their lives, like to create them Mm -hmm. if they don't have any. And so that's why teenagers are like dramatic and everything is because they think that being an adult is always being in a fight with somebody. They think that struggles make them interesting. Yeah. And so this is a teen lit book and it's like, well, she had to kill her mom with fire, but also there was a strangulation because that's what makes books deep. And I think it's also this thing of we can't have a, a female character who doesn't have an incredibly abusive and traumatic backstory. Like wow. It's another in a long list of... Trauma equals character. Yeah, exactly. Um, There are so many things I think that could have made this character interesting, but instead we rely entirely on the sad, abusive backstory. Like that is, that's the entirety of Riley's character. It's a real bummer. Um, Might fuck this whole thing up. She she goes to live with her dad. He lives with his wife, Leanne, and Leanne's son, Jackson. Um, and then two of Jackson's really good friends, his best friend Caleb and then Caleb's sister Cassie Jesus. are living with them temporarily while Caleb and Cassie's parents are out of town. These are all like between 17 and 21 years. So there's there's our love quadrangle then. Well, so Jackson and Cassie are very much committed to each other. We'll learn more about that towards the end of the book. And then Caleb instantly just becomes very protective of Riley. That means he loves her. That means they're soulmates, wouldn't you know? Destined uh, for each other. Well, isn't mm-hmm. it so crazy that out of the, the almost 8 billion people on Earth, yep. she got put into a house with her soulmate? Crazy. Um, one really interesting thing is that Riley's dad and his family are super rich. Like, super, super, super rich. And so there's this whole thing about, like, Riley is adjusting to being in a non-abusive environment. She's also adjusting to being around wealth. And I think you could have cut the entire abuse backstory, and it would have been almost more interesting and established just as much of her character if it was just, like, she grew up in a situation that was fine, but she was poor, And then now she's adjusting to this extreme wealth. Like, that could have given us enough character development without being quite so sad. Yeah. But don't you know. And then she builds a guillotine. um, Despite the fact that he is the vice president for one of the largest banks in the entire world, uh, they're good rich people because they do a lot of charity work. So There's no such thing. I hope we all can uh, understand. In one chapter, they go and spend the whole day at an animal shelter bathing puppies (laughs) <laughs> and then the six of them work on building a house for the less fortunate. It's our monthly charity work. Hopefully it will be as much fun as last month at the animal shelter, Riley says. I love the idea that it's like, okay, we're going to help out at the animal shelter. And the animal shelter is like, okay, thank God you're here. We've got all these puppies that need petting. We have not been able to get to our petting schedule. When in reality, it's like, okay, you need to clean up so much shit and yeah. express so many anal glands. <laughs> and please, actually, can you just buy us things? Buy us food? 
Yeah, instead of coming to volunteer, can you just give us money? That would actually be that would actually be better. Um, but Susan, we can't punish success. Oh no, of course not. We can't punish success. Um, they so like one of the ways that we express Riley's trauma is her terrible stutter. So she stutters over everything, but wouldn't you know it? Slowly over the course of the book, her stutter goes away, especially when she's with Caleb because she feels so safe with Caleb. Um, she, there's this whole thing about her learning to trust him and like she's never trusted anybody before, but she trusts Caleb. And then, um, there's a really depressing scene about like taking her shopping and buying her things. And it's just like, I, I highlighted a bunch of it because I was going to read a bunch of it to illustrate how much time this book spends on her backstory but it's just so sad. Yeah. I, you have not mentioned magic except for my initial guess that she has firepowers. Exactly. Um, so she eventually finds out that she did not kill her mom. Samuel, her stepdad or mom's boyfriend, strangled her mom before the fire happened. So she wasn't responsible for that. And then she learns that she's an elemental. This is exactly 50%, 50% of the way through the book. This is like taking the entire first half of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone before we get to You're a Wizard, Harry. And that like happens in like three chapters i think in that book well, and he does the thing with the snake so that you're led to believe yeah. that there's something special in the we owls. are not led to believe that there is magic in this at all like if i had not read the description of the book i wouldn't have known that this was going to yeah. wind up being magical i thought i would have thought it was just going to be really sad and depressing also can we go back for a second that it's okay that she burnt her house down because her stepdad or whoever had already killed her mom that's like if I shot somebody, but it turns out that they had a heart attack from seeing the gun. It's like, well, then I'm not an attempted murderer anymore. Exactly. He was already it's dead. It's all fine. It's not against the law to shoot a dead body. Ugh. Except pretty sure it is, though. But whatever. <laughs> Do you want to hear uh, some funny, some some funny, terrible writing in the explanation of elementals? Sure. Elementals are a lot like humans, but we're a different race. <laughs> oh, good. We evolved- Our craniums are larger in these sections. We evolved right along with humans. Elementals originated when the gods and goddesses walked the earth. Some of them procreated with humans and elementals were born. So they weren't, they did not evolve. (laughs) Exactly. Most humans didn't like the idea. So when the gods and goddesses were sent above, by whom? The humans and the elementals separated. Over time, the humans forgot about our existence. Why? Normally, for a person to be an elemental, both their mother and father need to be elementals. The only reason I never told you about us is because your mother was not an elemental. There should be no way for you to have blah, 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 blah. Um, Wait, so the the magnificent, very nice, very good guy, rich guy is also just a different sort of breed than the abusive, poor mom. Yes. So in elevated form. That's this this is a, a great little symbolism yeah, of just great. rich people have better genes. Great little allegory for something. Uh, if you're poor, it's in your DNA. Yeah. Um, how did he know that she was not an elemental? Uh, when we master our element, our senses are enhanced along with other things. We can sense other blessed elementals, which is how dad knows your mom was only human. 
Okay, cool. Then apparently when an elemental turns five, the gods and goddesses bestow an affinity to control a specific element upon them. It's always one of the four elements, earth, air, fire, or water. From five until the elemental turns 13, they're trained in how to control their element. We have special schools for elementals, but I'll explain that later. Um, so, of course, she's missed out on all this. Like, she didn't know that she was an elemental. She yeah. didn't do the thing when she was five. She didn't go to the special fancy school. They might as well hand you a brochure. Like, yeah. hey, just read up on this real quick. Every elemental goes before the council. Of course, there's of course. a council. To be tested. If you prove you can control your element, then the gods bless you. It's an incredibly strange feeling. The council member who represents your element will hold hands with you and say something that's sort of like a prayer, and you feel a jolt, kind of like if you stick a fork in an outlet, but not painful. You also get a slight sting wherever your mark ends up. You get a you get a mark. Yeah. Um, this sounds like a bunch of elemental kids are, are piled into like a a classroom and then the teacher wheels in a TV. Yeah. Or starts up an eight millimeter or you know, a projector. And then it's like welcome to uh, what being an elemental means. Yep, exactly. I'm here with Billy Every Teen and he's gonna walk us through the process. It's like, so wait a minute, Mr. Jackson. You're telling me that I can control fire? That's right, Billy. Exactly. Ever, you sure can. Ever since your parents passed on these three magical letters, DNA, it secured your material wealth. <laughs> and that's what makes you better than other people. <laughs> You're the chosen race. Oh, my goodness. Us elementals need a certain amount of, well, let's just call it living space. I mean, really, they do. That's why they have to have a massive mansion in California. Yeah, but don't worry. They help pet puppies or whatever. They do. They do their work. Like Daft Punk. They're up all night to pet puppies. They're up all night to pet puppies. Okay. Um, Good vamping. A couple other things that I... Sorry, I was looking through my notes. That's why Mick had to do all of that. Well, don't part the curtain. Come on. <laughs> um... The other thing that drove, one of the many things that drove me absolutely insane about this is that in every single sentence that they say to each other, they have to say use their names. some type, no, not Aww. names, pet names. <laughs> it's always like, her dad is always like, kiddo, honey, sweetheart, which is like, whatever, fine. Um, despite the but fact that he just scene. met her a week ago. Well, he's got good DNA, so he's and capable of love. Same with her stepmom, um, her her brother Jackson always calls her sis. Every single sentence, even within the same paragraph, is sis. Um, More and then like sus. Caleb is the worst yeah. because every time he talks Babe. to her from baby and baby girl, baby girl, like multiple times in one paragraph. Oh, baby girl. Oh, baby girl. It's so gross. Oh, so there's some of those scenes then, huh? No, but guess what? There's a reason that Caleb has been acting the way that he has towards Riley. Riley, in our world, there's one person out there for each of us. Oh, God. We all have a second half. They're always an elemental as well. It's believed the gods did this to prevent confusion amongst humans and elementals. Can you imagine finding out the love of your life could control an element? Not exactly the easiest thing to tell someone. Though I have to say, you're taking this whole thing quite well. So let me get this clear. This wonderful rich guy who's raising her in a loving environment also porked her mom mm -hmm. in a one-night stand situation and then just like peaced out. Correct. Great guy. Yep, great guy. Um, but he, it's, it's like, okay though it because up. a few months after he helped Riley's mom conceive Riley, he met Leanne, who's his soulmate. 
Um, and then wouldn't you know it, uh, his partner, so he's the VP at a bank, his business partner and best friend also has two children. And so Jackson, his stepson with Leanne, is conveniently soulmates with Cassie, the business partner's daughter. And then his daughter is conveniently soulmates with Caleb, Ugh, the business partner's fucking son. Fucking hate teenagers. So we're really just consolidating our power and wealth here, it's which is really nice. some sort of like, nice. it's a class interest or something. I know, it's crazy. This is some monarchical bullshit. <laughs> I Secure was the bloodline. I was hoping this is the reaction that you would have. <laughs> to no, this you, whole thing you know it um but when they first explain the concept of soulmates uh riley gets really upset because she thinks that there's a soulmate out there somewhere for caleb and she's been like falling for him when he has an existing soulmate and it's like no baby girl you're my soulmate you're the only one for me i knew it from the moment that i first laid eyes on you when you were sent to live with your father that you didn't know after experiencing extreme trauma and abuse. Yeah. But all I could think about was that you were my Poor soulmate kid. and I wanted to bone you. Um, Do you know what's awful is that think of how many teenage girls are sitting in their beds and like sighing about this. Like, oh, Caleb. Wouldn't that be amazing? Um, if only I had a boyfriend who was classically handsome with a perfect chin. And a I, ton of money. I don't know what that means. I just know that he's perfectly handsome. And I'll know when I see it because he'll have a ton of money. <laughs> well, at least the material reality is there. Um, one really funny thing that... So Cassie is obsessed with clothes. She brings Riley shopping a whole bunch. But listen to this outfit that Cassie has laid out for Riley to wear. Gross. She picked out a gray tank top with a black vest to go over it. And hey, a, hey, you, you. I don't like a girlfriend. Uh-huh. And a pair of blue jeans with a brown belt. Ugh! <laughs> Isn't that gross? So stylish. It's extremely now, 2003. They're very rich. Are we sure that Cassie isn't auditioning to be on the Disney Channel? Ooh, could be. Yeah. In the early 2000s? Yeah. yeah. She's got the little wand. Yeah, I could see that. That sounds about right. What's her, her, her boyfriend's Jackson? Jackson. They did Cassie and Jackson sounds like a Disney Channel couple. Yeah, so they would be like, "Hey Jackson, have you heard? We're getting a new sister." And then he'd be like, "What? Hey sis, how's it going, sis? Hey sis, how are you?" Yeah, it's yeah for sure. Uh, yeah. So Cassie has you know lit some things on fire. So hey, haven't we? Fire all? elemental, or not Cassie? Sorry. Um, what's the main character's name? Riley. Uh, Riley lit some stuff on fire accidentally. So first we think she's a fire elemental. Then she accidentally controls air. Oh, great. She's Aang. Then she accidentally... Didn't I just read a book like this um, about the Greek gods or whatever where someone had an affinity she's for all the mimic. different things? Yeah. yeah. Um, then... Well, it can't be a teen book if they're not instantly good at everything. She's instantly good at everything. Then we find out that she has a water affinity too and we decide to try earth and wouldn't you know it, she's great at that too. I I know that I'm supposed to drink more water, but I just don't have a water affinity. I usually end up... <laughs> okay, Lauren. Um, so... As they realize that she has affinities for all four elements, they start to tell her about the legends. Wouldn't you know it, Mick? There's legends. Yeah, and Zelda's the boy. For as long as any elemental can remember, there's been talk of the chosen. At least it's not a prophecy. Oh my god. According to the legends, one person is picked to be picked specifically by the gods and goddesses of the elementals to lead all elementals in a war. 
Makaya is the goddess of earth, blah, 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 blah. Um, war against who? Guess who the war's against? I wasn't paying attention. The Fallen. A war against the Fallen. <laughs> oh, no. A group of elementals who turn to the dark side. Oh, there's a dark side. When elementals use their affinity for evil, the gods and goddesses, blah, 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 blah. Let me, okay, 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 okay. Is the dark side of elementalness is that they're trying to either kill all non-elementals like Magneto or trying to give the power of being an elemental to all people? Okay. It doesn't really say. Oh, so. It just says they're evil people to begin with and they don't have a problem falling through on the king of the fallen's demands. Oh, so they really like... So like they're evil. So they they're just get, evil. Get material benefits from the work of other people that they don't share, and then like recluse themselves at the top of their ivory tower. No, Mick, they're just evil. Oh well, that's that's evil. Yeah. Um, God, this is the leftist you just, podcast. You just know it when you see it. When you when you think about it, because they're ugly. Then Caleb continues to explain. Baby okay. girl, the legend Ugh. says the chosen will come from an unexpected place and have an affinity for all four elements. Blah, 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 blah. She freaks out because she realizes what they're saying, that she might be the chosen. So then they have to take her to the council. There's an attempted kidnapping by the fallen that we spend about four paragraphs on and then completely move on. <laughs> well, that's going to be the second book. We, she's going to be seduced by the dark side. Yeah, we put text to subtext by saying, you're not only new to the world of elementals, but you're you're new to the world of wealth and privilege, too. Yeah, I got that from the first 50% of the book, Caleb. Thank you. Um, do you want to hear the names of the head elementals for each element? All right. Give me give me the element and I'll try to get a name. Fire. Fire is going to be something like uh, Stormbringer. No, that's too fantasy. It's going to be something like Blaze. Uh, very close. Scarlet. Scarlet. Uh, water, also a woman's name. Uh, may, something with mermaid in it. Misty. Ah, oh, that's from Pokemon. I should have known. Uh, earth, man's name. Cave, Johnson. (laughs) Forest. And our last one is Jet, who represents air. Fucking spectacular <laughs> so stupid jk rowling eat your heart out lupus i mean come on. remus lupus remus lupus you gotta know two different languages to get that just call him jet <laughs> just call him wolf uh, wolf wolfenson serious black more like what's up dog just <laughs> say that um in order to prove that she's the chosen one she has to make a diamond because it uses all four of the elements. Love when I get air in my diamonds. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're wet. They, it would just be earth. It's only earth. Yeah. And I guess pressure. Earth. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but she has to make a diamond. Um, so then they go through the whole ceremony where they bless her or whatever. And so she gets blessed by all four of them. My entire body jolts, a heated shock coursing through my veins like lightning. It isn't painful. It actually feels right, like I'm home. And I love it. I hate it when teen lit has an orgasm scene in it. (laughs) The world spins a bit, and I assume it's part of the experience. With a strange detachment, I notice the stinging happening again on my forearm this time. And then she passes out. Does she get four different brands? She does. 
because nice. she's the chosen one. She gets Nick. a big blue air- arrow in the top of her head. Yeah, basically. Um, Is there a big rideable dragon bear thing? So she, no, that would be really cool. It's an air bison. Appa. Gangnam style? Exactly. Timely reference. Very timely reference. So she yeah, passes out. Looks like a wiener. <laughs> she passes out and comes to in uh like basically outside of time and space and she meets the gods and goddesses of the elementals. Uh, are they uh ex- extant within our world's mythology? Uh nope. Yay, they just have hey, kind of random names. Good for her. Yeah. Good for the writer. Um she they tell they like confirm you're the chosen one blah 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 she says but i'm and she's stuttering the whole time but i'm not gonna say the stutters but i stutter i'm just some girl a nobody i didn't even get these powers until my 17th birthday my mother wasn't even an elemental how did any of how is any of this even possible how can you expect me to lead people when i can't even talk to people this isn't even a realistic stutter i'm looking over here like i know whatever I feel like most of the time folks stutter on like the first word in a sentence. Like there's specific continents that consonants yeah. that people and stutter what's more, on. They usually take a like they pause. Yeah. They don't just Too do three it. letters and then say the word and yeah. then two words later they say three letters again. Turns out her mom was an elemental, but she was never blessed. They're very proud of her, but her oh, guess what? Guess who um one of the generals of the fallen army is? Uh, the stepdad. The stepdad. Oh Samuel. my god! I'm good. Samuel. Mm-hmm. Samuel Morningstar. Probably something like that. Um, what am I supposed to do now? She at I ask, panicked. You will know when the time comes. <laughs> That's for the sequel. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so she wakes back up. She's talking to her family and says, "I have so much to tell him." So much to tell all my family. The future terrifies me, but in this moment, wrapped in my soulmate's arms, I believe everything will be okay. We'll stop Samuel and whatever evil he and the other fallen are planning. All I need to do is trust in them and learn to trust in myself. And that's the end of the book. Very nice. I have to say, at least... Was that very nice? At least there's a... Well, it's over, which is very nice. Uh, At least there's a theme stated and like a character arc of... At the beginning, she's like, I can't trust anyone. And then she learns to trust people. Yes, so. but it is not only illustrated to death, but also they say it specifically a thousand <clears throat> times. Like, it's not it's not doing too much telling and not enough showing or too much showing and not enough telling. It's doing too much of both. Mm. Like, I get it. That's like if Gatsby turned around and saw Nick on the dock and I was like, you see that green light? I really, that's like, I'm hoping for that. I desire to be able to actually reach out and get it because then it represents that I'm achieving my goal. Yeah. And Nick would be like, but Gatsby, it's across the lake. You can't reach out and grab it. Ah. Yeah. Ah, you're so true. I'm still going to sit here and hope and continue to think that maybe someday I'll be able to reach it. I'm going to get into my boat and beat against the current. Yeah. It's just <laughs> it like... It took so long to get to such a stereotypical place. Like, you did not need to take 50% of the first book to get to establishing the fact that we are in a supernatural world. I feel like this probably could have just been one book, but now everything has to be a trilogy. And so she spread it out super, super, super (laughs) far. For Caleb. 
to try to make, you know, to try to, <laughs> like, turn it into three books when it could have just been one. Yeah. Blah. Blah. Anyway, um, so I uh, did not super love that. How did you feel about your book, Mick? Well, um, I, you know how sometimes on Bibliovile we fumble and you accidentally get a good book because you don't, like, sometimes it's better than the cover would suggest or the back of the book or whatever. Yeah. This one, I thought you did a tremendous fumble because when I went to go buy it from online, it was number one in adult humor. I think that was a fluke. I was, it's called the society hashtag stalker problems. And I thought the hashtag stalker problems was like a subtitle or a something. A marketing no, tool. It's like part of the title. And so what is number one, and it's so blasé, it's just like, yeah, it's Fifty Shades of Grey, but and it's in humor. I thought it was going to be like a tongue-in-cheek parody. Like, yeah. Like when we uh, said we were going to write a parody of uh, sci-fi urban fantasy stuff. Yeah. I thought it was going to be a tongue-in-cheek thing about that. D- listener, it was not. It was not a tongue-in-cheek was parody. Was it funny at all? No, it was fucking awful. And I'll get to it. Speaking of pacing issues, I did not finish this book. Because I got to... Uh, you still I, have quite a few notes, though. Oh, yeah. Uh, I suppose let's start with the, the start with the story, and then we can get into the pacing issues. Um, at 3%, I figured out that I was not a deconstruction. It was not a satire. Um, the plot of this book is that we have a, a woman who is our narrator who is possibly the stupidest character ever in fiction. Oh, no. And it's not played... It's played for laughs that she's like, oh... <laughs> And I panicked or whatever. And it's like, no, I'm worried about your ability to live a human adult life. I really am worried. And so she accidentally flung oil onto a fire burning a date's dick. Apparently in a previous book. I don't know if she's the character or she was a side character in it or something. But she's now sworn off. How do you accidentally fling oil into a fire? I don't know. It was called The Incident, which we're talked about, told about basically every chapter instead of leaving in the backstory. Good. Um, so she is, we open on her, on her divorce day. She, she finalized her divorce. Good for her. And she is at a smoothie shop and she can't think of what to order. So she blurts out the grossest one on the menu. Oh my gosh. And now she's going to have to What is the grossest cho- one on the menu? It's something with kale or some shit. I don't care. Um, and so she takes her uh, smoothie, spills on herself on the way out of the thing, then later is uh, walking to go watch a guy who she says is her stalker because when she walks past this building, he connects eyes with her every time. So she goes to this bench and is played for laughs like, oh, look at this lady. Uh, making excuses to herself instead of admitting she's the stalker. And it's like, yeah, but that's still fucked up. Like, I don't. Yeah, that's so creepy and weird. And so she like hides in an alley and then spills on herself again to see this really handsome man that by thirty five percent of the way through the book we have not seen again. Good. Um, Great and this pacing. is within the first five. Oh, we'll talk about the pacing. Um, and then she is is thinking about having to jump in the dumpster. Because the guy took two steps towards the alley and she's not going to be seen by him. So she's going to jump into the dumpster instead well, of... Well, she's already covered in a gross kale smoothie, so it yeah. couldn't get any worse, right? Instead of, like, hiding behind it or something. Then she goes home, or she goes to her spin class and what she really likes, she's, she's having a great time exercising and really devoting to herself after this divorce. And that's great, except it's played for laughs because it's like, she, she's still not even skinny. <laughs> Can you imagine she's short, exercising and not being skinny? She's short and has a huge ass. 
and it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm I'm still not as skinny as. And it's like, do you know what trends are right now? And also, just like bodies are different. Yeah, you're it's, short. It's whatever. fine. So she gets taken back by uh, her, I don't know, sex fiend friend, um, the wild child, and they have this long list of single girl rules that I'm not even going to begin to talk about. And it's once again played for quote unquote laughs because there's like hundreds of them. These rules. Ew. Yeah. Do they write out all hundred of them? No, but oh, they'll come later. They write out, I think, the first ten or so. Um, so she gets brought back to her own apartment, and she opens up, and there's a cop in there. <gasps> the cop is in a uh, her apartment with the lights turned off. They turn it on, and she ma- she n- notices that he's built and handsome, and the cop says, you've been a very bad girl. So she streaks through the apartment, apparently past the cop, and starts running out of the fire escape. Because the cop is here to arrest her. Why didn't she just turn around? Because the cop is here to arrest her, and so she, she hears other people telling her to come That's back. Not legal she tells for here him to, to curry back, be in her and apartment. she's just jumping down the fire escape, even though she hears her family and friends yelling at her to come back. It's just a prank, bro, and it's a stripper, and she hears this and says they're just lying to me and keeps running. And it's like, that's not fucking funny. That's not funny. That's stupid. That's dumb. That's also incredibly creepy to be a single woman thinking you're alone and you walk into your apartment and there's a a dude there. It's a surprise apartment. So my third note is how fucking stupid could a protagonist be? This is not like unself-aware things like, you know, uh, uh, Confederacy. Don says where he thinks he's very smart, but everyone looks at him like he's stupid. Or this is not even like... uh, Naked Gun or Police Squad, where very clearly Leslie Nielsen's character is quite dumb and misunderstands things around him. But it's done in such a way that each individual misunderstanding could be relatively explained. And so then you just like, you know, uh, suspension of disbelief that they're all adding up. And so it's funny. So like a similar thing is, uh, oh, we'll get to this one later. Uh, Remind me about the Naked Gun when I talk about the doctor rape. Okay. About uh, the what? Yeah, exactly. There's she sexually assaults someone in this book and is played for laughs. Jesus. Um. So her sex fiend friend says hashtags out loud. Oh no. No one ever does that. No uh, one does that. This and the Ghoster book I read from a little bit ago have the same protagonist where they're constantly overthinking and they're addicted to their phones. But this is played for laughs. All the other one was played as a moral tale. Um. Chapter six was already seven percent of the way through the book. Uh, so, uh, I said this either has a, po- a sizable post script, uh, like a entire, like a look at my next book thing yeah, or as completely fucked pacing. And it, I, it might have a postscript, but it also had completely fucked pacing, uh, because she at this, uh, you know, divorce day party gets a black envelope with lace inviting her to the society, which is, Ooh, wait, we're still on her divorce day. Yeah. Uh, it's a long day. Yeah. Um. And so she finds this uh, uh, envelope inviting her to society, which is New York's, in Stefan voice, New York's most selective sex club. Uh, it's got sure. everything. Forced waxing, STD tests, Monopoly money. And how exactly did the society find her? I don't know. To I got to, to I got to page 30, or not page, I got to 35% of the way through the book and that still had not been explained yet. Had she had she gotten to the society? No. By the time? Oh no. And so yeah, this I don't. 
I don't want to be that guy who read a book about writing and pacing and now talks about nothing else in the craft. But like I read a book about pacing and now I talk about nothing else in the craft. And it makes a certain amount of sense, especially outside of literature. It's like, hey, we should be in your pre, your existing world for like five to 10%. Yep. That you, maybe not even that much, three to 5%. Then the inciting incident happens. The envelope shows up, right? Yeah. There's the inciting incident. You initially don't want to go. She doesn't want to go the sex club thing, which is completely fair. But somebody pushes you into it, her sex fiend friend. All right. Now we're at like 15%. Let's go into the new world that we're in. Yeah. No, actually, we're going to make it 50%. Basically. And so this also has completely fucked pacing. We'll talk about why and why I stopped. Uh, So one of the first things she does is has to go... I'm skimming heavily, like reading one sentence a page and just pressing, pressing on and on and on. And I'm making no headway. I was the boat beating ceaselessly (laughs) against the current, born back into the shitty book. Um, And so she goes to a spa day where it's like out of nowhere, but she goes in and it's immediately well decorated. And there's some light racism about the woman at the desk's uh, accent. And I just can't understand it. She's Middle Eastern, so. Um, Gross. And so she gets... She spends three pages wondering if she's supposed to get naked for the spa or not because the accent was too thick so that she didn't understand. So she just goes ahead and gets naked. And, and then she flips over and exposes a titty. And then she pulls her towel up over her titties, exposing her vagina. And it's like, oh, my God, so funny. Wait, is this during a massage? Yeah. It's not towels. It's full sheets. Uh, also, she is put onto her back at first. And they give her, like, a head massage. And she falls asleep. And she wakes up to people coming into the room. Uh, and spreading her legs apart and waxing her pubes. That's n- not good, but uh, okay. And so she is being waxed. Her pubes are being waxed away as well as any hair out of her butt crack, which is like have fun sweating for the rest of your day uh, without ass hair. Um, <laughs> I have to imagine that'd be awful. Anyway, uh, I love that it's like this most exclusive sex club. We cater to basically any fetish within reason, except for like scat play and you know, uh, uh, simulated rape and this, these sorts of fetishes, which actually need like supportive, <laughs> like contractually obli- not obligated, but like, hey, there's expectations that we all have with each other, and it's like, no, this is just for like light role play. Yeah, it's like I don't, you don't need a contract in a club for light role play. You can go pick someone up and kind of explain that. So it's kind of funny that it's the most vanilla of fetishes. Also, it's like we're open to any fetishes at all, but you can't have anybody here. <laughs> Yes, exactly. So it's any fetish at all, but you have to be prepubescent. You have to be completely waxed. Yeah. And then they draw blood without telling her what it's for. She immediately thinks they injected drugs into her. That's super not okay. Yeah. What, um, what, like, if you were in a spa and they were like, we just need to draw a little bit of your blood, run away. What spa is going to draw your blood? Um, And so she immediately thinks that it's drugs. I'm like, protagonist, in this book. It's an STD. They're testing your blood for STD stuff. You're, you know you're joining a sex club. Yeah. This is not like you've been dragged here against your will. You came and did these things knowing it was a sex club. Why don't you figure this out, you idiot? Yeah. Um, it's uh, like if what it takes to be funny, if the only way you can get her into funny situations is to have this single uh stupidest person i've ever seen it's it's weird so this brings us to this thing she's going to a doctor's appointment to see if she got drugged or not okay uh and so she's getting weighed by the nurse uh her she goes in originally for a gynecology and then asks to be seen by a different doctor it's like why did you set up a gynecology thing whatever and so she's getting weighed and she's complaining about being 5'2 and 112 pounds gross 
Just go away. Um, Stop with your stupid fat shaming nonsense. And so throughout this, we've been getting stuff. Um, we've got this uh, uh, party where they come over and they're talking about the society and they're reading the contract. So we get to read the contract of the society, like the rules of the society. Just There's so many rules in this book. Just putting them through the text. Just we get to read a legal document now. And Cute. It's, it's completely non-binding. Yeah. It's the stupidest legal document I've ever seen. But I don't also want to read an actual legal document either. So I guess this is the worst way we could have handled both extremes. Sounds about right. Um, And so one of the things is they never use any money. But for fetishes involving money, if, I don't know, like a, a sugar daddy situation or something like that, whatever. They're going to use Monopoly money. And of course, it's for only the richest people in New York to get into this. So it's like, I th- why not just why use, not just use money? regular money? Yeah. And so she wakes up after a blackout to find that uh, she bought thousands of dollars worth of Monopoly board games. This is this is a, a protagonist that at the beginning of the book was worried that her credit card or debit card is going to get declined on the smoothie. So then, how was she able? It, it doesn't to buy- fucking matter. It's a terrible book, and so she wakes up to thousands of board games for the money. I'm like, I'm pretty sure you just buy the money, you fucking idiot. Mm-hmm. And then she bought a wig, and she's like, Where did I buy this wig? And it's only like eighty pages, so five percent later. That it's like, oh, you are going to take on this persona you told me and you're going to be raven black. And instead of wearing your red hair with your pale freckled skin and big tits that no one could possibly be uh, attracted to. You know, everyone hates pale redheads with big tits. You're going to put on this black wig. Anyway, she goes to the doctor's exam after that. And so she's thinking that society could start any time. Anything could be. And it's like, no. Literally, I just read a legal document that says you will be noticed ahead of time. You'll be like told ahead of time. With a place to go, yeah. your role, you have to say yes to it. You'll be, f- like, fair warned in advance. So even the book is like, no, <laughs> this is not a misconception. Yeah. And So, so she- does she think her doctor's appointment is a yes. society event? And so the doctor is this handsome pediatrician, this, like, oh, he's, he's like, 6'3". Why is three? she seeing a pediatrician? Because he was, he was the only one on staff that day. I'm like, that's a bad hospital. That's not how that works. I know. And so he's, he's going, uh... He has to step out for something, but I'll come back. And so she just spends the next five pages fantasizing about what he's going to do to her. We don't actually get any actual sex in this book. I, I read the Amazon reviews. No one ever fucks in this. Ugh. Which brings me... Or it's which, a book about a secret sex society and there's no sex in I it? I know. And wait until uh, the end to talk about why that's an especially bad idea. Uh, and then the doctor comes back and she he's like, okay, well, you said you wanted something with the pelvic thing. And it's like, their gynecologist is just in here. Why is the pediatrician doing this instead? And she's like, well, I can't I can't possibly do that now because I'm soaking wet. Ew. Like, how hilarious. And so then she gets it into her mind through nothing, no anything to, to convince her of this, that the doctor is part of the society. So she starts trying to flirt with him. And I haven't been looking at quotes at all to tell you how awful this is. I forgot that I took them because then that would require me reading this book again. But I think I have to find this specific one quote to tell you just, oh shoot, just how terrible it is. I just, like, it it almost sounds like they're setting it up to to be that she made the whole thing up. Like, you're going to get all the way through this extremely long book. And there is no society. She just, like, sort of dreamed it up somehow. Because otherwise, how does any of this make any sense? Why would she think going to the gynecologist is a society event? This is gross. Uh, 
Remember when I said her friend talks in hashtags? One time she said, is he hashtag gorge? Like, oh, gorgeous. gross. All right. <clears throat> this is her in the doctor's room. Uh, she says, I thought I felt the lump in my boobs. And so he's going to feel her up. And he's like, uh, okay. And he pokes her because it's like. Because it's get... a breast exam yeah. in a doctor's office. And then you must be not doing it right. You have to squeeze him like this. And she reaches up and touches herself. And he's like, uh, okay, if you're feeling discomfort in your breasts, maybe due to hormonal changes. Uh, now he's talking about my period. Either he was really bad at role playing or he was into some seriously kinky shit. Yeah, those are the two options, you fucking moron. And not that he's a doctor and you're on a patient exam table. Ew, gross. She follows this up by saying, time to examine my pussy. I bet you'll like it more than grabbing little boys' balls and making them cough all day, you filthy pervert. Oh my god, that's disgusting. Uh, this was quickly falling apart. I thought back to my flawless fantasy. What had I done to seduce him then? That's right, the shirtless version of him and love my strip tee. That was you jerking off. What are you, you're a fucking idiot. I, I can't. Uh, so she's trying to take off her bra. I got my bra undone and pulled my shirt off. I was about to slip my jeans off, but I started to panic. My big ass. What if he hates the stretch marks? She can't get her pants off, apparently. This is, like, <laughs> she's going to get arrested. Dr. Lyons caught me in his strong arms. Are you okay? He asked. Finally, we're getting somewhere. Now I am, I, I said as I leaned in for the kiss. One of my hands gripped his broad shoulders while the other wandered to his crotch. I grabbed his huge erect. No, he was flaccid, not even half-mast. Completely and utterly limp. Because he's at work. Whoa, he yelled, dropping me to the ground. The linoleum was hard and cold against my half-naked ass. Okay, no, this is totally inappropriate. He storms out of the room. Yes, well, because that... you just sexually assaulted a doctor. Well, that could have gone better, I muttered. Gross. Well, that just happened. So this brings me to my naked gun, uh, this sexual assault. Like, no no other way to put it. That was straight up and down sexual assault. Hilarious. Uh, so this brings me back to the naked gun con- uh, comparison, where it's like, hey, Mick, you love comedies where the protagonist is really dumb and does a lot of dumb stuff. Why do you hate this one? And it's like, you got to have a certain amount of... Even if it's just a tiny little crack in which to slip into to make it make sense, you gotta have something to excuse the misunderstanding. Like, in a classic scene from the first one, he's at a press conference with a lapel mic, and then he excuses himself to go to the bathroom, forgetting that his lapel mic is on. Pretty stupid, but he's out of the room yeah. while he's pissing, so he can't hear it, but everyone in the room can. Yeah. In this book, it would be like if she was pissing in the actual room, and it was like, what's that over the loudspeakers? It sounds like peeing. Oh, that's so weird because I'm peeing too. It's like, it's, what are you doing? Yeah. And so to bring it back to the the, uh, lab or the doctor's office in the third one, which is the second worst one, also the second best, I suppose, he goes to infiltrate a, he's told that he's infiltrating a a medical clinic, but he takes a wrong turn. He fills out the wrong form and he is in the sperm wing, like Um. a sperm donor clinic. And he's trying to fake an injury to get into the doctor's office to look through some files. And so he's trying to bluff his way through this physical, not knowing he's in a sperm donation thing, but he doesn't have any specific thing wrong. And so it's it's delightfully chaotic language that can be taken as double entendres. Yeah. And so if he said, "Oh, I broke my arm," then they'd be like, "Oh, that's that's a sperm clinic. You're you're good to go." Yeah. Or this is a sperm clinic. Go this other place. And so instead, he's, "When did you notice the problem?" Is what the the nurse asks. Oh, when I was in the backyard with my uncle throwing it around like a football injury. Oh my god. And so it's all very in good fun. Um, but then if this, once again, to take it back to, if it was this book, then it would be like, so 
you're at a sperm donation clinic. How, how can I help you? And they'd be like, oh, I jerked off my uncle a bunch. It's like, that's not funny to just be wrong. Well, and it's like, there was nothing that led her to believe that this doctor's appointment that she scheduled herself was a society event. Like, yeah. Like you said, the book specifically said that it wasn't, that she would be notified. And there was, it didn't seem like anything between her interaction with the doctor. There was no crack to slip into. There yeah. was no excuse to take on these, like the, the whatever. And so it's all very fucking stupid all the way down. Uh, and then I, I realized I was only at 30% of the way through the book. I eventually got to 35. And I'm like, God damn. This book has terrible pacing, and I have been like one sentence a page skipping. Yeah. And I am still not reaching any further through. And so I was like, this book is intolerable. No, not too many books have made me want to throw my Kindle at the wall as bad as this one. Yeah, Murder you were Mamas, struggling with this one. Murder Mamas, as much of a complete failure of storytelling, it was a, it was a car crash. You're like, you can't look away. Like, yeah. It was, an, it was making me mad and like, oh my God, How? But it still. was also less than 300 pages, so that probably yeah. helped a little bit. And so I was like, how? How did this happen? I can't. I, I have to keep going because this isn't, it, like, it's terrible, but I have to see it through. And this one was like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm going to throw this at the wall and then set it on fire and blow it up with dynamite. I can't. <gasps> and so I'm like, how am I only at 30%? And I went back and I wanted to read some of the reviews. Like, do people think this is funny? And for a book that's that popular, there were actually quite a few one-star reviews. Like, yeah, yeah, this was this this person can't function as an adult human being. And that, like, when it is a character who very clearly can't function, like, it's not funny. Like, it's hard to laugh at something like that where it's so clearly like this is just not working. Yeah. Um. And so while I was looking at the one-star reviews. I happened upon a little stat that made everything very clear. And it was that this book is 750 pages long. <laughs> I think that qualifies as the longest bibliophile book we've ever gotten for each other. I think it might. You've gotten me a couple of 600 pagers. Yeah, and like sci-fi ones, that like physical book. But I finished them. Yeah, bud. <laughs> Fine. Whatever. I, I feel nothing about not finishing this one. I made it to 35%. Which is what? Probably a normal book. 210 I mean, pages, somewhere around there. Yeah. And so it's insane to think that I was supposed to keep going. I made it through a third of this. And the thing that made me stop is that it's like, ha, ah, look at this idiot bumbling her way through stuff. And then all of a sudden she's getting ready for her first society event. And she goes into her closet to try and find a dress. And she comes across the box of her missing, possibly murdered sister's stuff. Where she just stops and thinks about my poor, missing, murdered sister. And I'm like, what? fuck it. And I hit the eject button and shot out into space. And even though my parachute didn't open and I crashed and died, I didn't worth it. Had we heard anything about the sister prior to this? No. That was it. At 35, here's this new plot deck. At 35 of a sex book, we still had not even gotten to a society event. And according to the reviews, there's no sex in it. They'd never actually fuck in a book that's 750 pages about a secret sex society. Oh, Very alliterative. Rough. They don't actually have sex. That's rough, what buddy. What kind of fucking book was this? I just don't, like... Apparently it's a more put together, like, the, the tower made of blocks actually stands, unlike Murder Mamas, where they actually built three half towers and then tried to stack them on top of each other, fell over. But, what... That's rough, buddy. 
So yeah, slap that eject button like nobody's business and was out of there. I I I feel no regret. I I, I, I normally, used to feel bad when I quit, but I like this one's not. I, I knew I wasn't gonna finish. I give it. you a pretty hard time about not finishing bibliobio books, but this one I'm I'm just gonna. It's all right. I'm glad you didn't finish it. <laughs> yeah, that would have been my my mood. Oh man, that's rough, bud. Yeah, so good job on this terrible book. You found quite a terrible I book, found I have to quite say. Quite a terrible book. Yeah. I found quite a terrible book. Well, well you know, solidarity uh, to you you and yours out there. I will try to make sure to get you a shorter one next time. Thank you. Uh, with that in mind, we are going to wrap it up. My name has been and will continue to be Mick Dickinson. You can find me on Twitter at Bibliovile, and you can find the podcast on Twitter as well. And I am at Susan J. That's S with three U's, S-A-N-J. The intro music to our podcast is Babe of the Night by the band Elixir off of their album Rampant. Good night. Good night.